You want to see something really scary? You bet. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Duncan and Bo Come Correct. We're in uh, I, Bo Ranstell, and uh, my co-host here, Duncan McLeish. Hello. Uh, present a film to each other, and uh, then uh, that the other has not seen, and then uh, we decide who has in fact come most correct by recommending the better film. Um, it is Duncan. I don't have to tell you. It is the Halloween season. It is the Halloween season, and um, we're only a couple of days into it, but my feed on my Facebook page, because we have we travel in the same circles, Bo, yes. is just full of people reveling in uh, horror, which makes me very happy. Yeah, me too. I, I like to see the fact that people are excited. Uh, you know, here we are. We are about to uh, embark upon the, the real thrust of Halloween. It is uh, October 3rd, no, 4th, I'm sorry. Fourth on the day of our recording, which means that there is uh, another, you know, four weeks mm-hmm. essentially of Halloween, and uh, and that always makes me happy. I'm uh, I'm actually in the midst of packing for a move though, so I don't get to just lounge around and watch horror movies in the way that perhaps I would like. Uh, but uh, yeah, the weather is is very Halloween y. <laughs> Halloweeny, uh, Halloweeny here, and uh, yeah, so I'm I'm kind of in the spirit. I'm really is that a spooky hot dog guy? Yes, the <laughs> Halloweenery is the new <laughs> restaurant I'm opening. <laughs> it's seasonal, <laughs> yeah, very much so. But uh, we serve delicious hot dogs on orange buns. <laughs> so. I can't wait to visit. Yeah, well, it's going to be a food truck kind of thing. So, you know, follow the Halloweenery on Twitter, and you can see where we're going to be. You just know someone's stolen that idea by now. Oh, yeah, it's a million-dollar idea, or about $50, probably. But, <laughs> um, so let's, uh, let's begin as we normally do. Oh, uh, let's establish one other rule beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, we have uh, what is referred to as the Winter Beast. Uh, which, of course, is the greatest film in the history of cinema. Of course. Uh, and if you invoke merely by the invocation of the name Winter Beast, you automatically win an episode. That's correct. Yes. And it is a first-come, first-serve. We cannot both declare Winter Beast in the same episode. We have established this now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, and, and as of this moment... Uh, what is our score? It is... We're back tied. Uh, yeah, we are tied up once more. And because of the Halloweenery season, <laughs> we have decided to go with horror films, uh, which um, is a particularly interesting for us because we've seen so damn many of them. Well, that's, a, that's our back... Both our, our other shows that we do um, and our general interests are, are um, kind of cinema bent so to speak is horror so th- we both have seen a multitude of movies there are the occasional gaps uh, i like to think that and maybe that will come through it probably comes through quite a lot in this show actually more than other shows i'm a, a big lover of european cinema so um that's kind of where i've aimed this time and for the folks that don't know bo is a huge fan of nature gone amok movies oh am i ever <laughs> so it should be no surprise to anyone that on this show, I picked a a, a Belgian 
horror movie, and Bo picked one about a giant alligator. So. A giant alligator loose in the sewers of Chicago. Yeah. Gro- so. Grown large because of uh, mutant dogs. So <laughs> it's, oh, it's so good. So good. All right, we'll get into that though. Um, but but before we uh, we dive into the the horror, the horror, Duncan, the horror, the horror. Um, what uh, what have you been watching that is both uh, or either very very good or very very bad? Um, I will kick off with something that's very good. That is must be about released in the states now. If it's not. It's imminent, um, and that is a, a movie that's been getting a lot of hype. The hype machine has been behind us quite solidly. Um, a lot of people saying it is basically this year's Babadook already. Um, for those that don't know the context of that, Babadook was a movie that was heavily hyped last year. Um, and I believe lived up to the hype. I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. I thought it was yep. a really interesting horror movie. Um, this one is called uh, Good Night, Mummy. Uh, for the Americans, it's even spelt "mommy" uh, for the Americans. Um, well, how's it spelled it's, otherwise? Um, well, in the UK, it's M U M, not M O M. So it's good night, mummy. Mummy, mummy, yeah. Mummy, mummy. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the fact that when I went to see the American version, my voice went American. When you went to see the British one, you all of a sudden sounded like a character from Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Mummy, dancing penguins are here. <laughs> as long as you didn't do the Dick Van Dyke. Oh, clean your shoes for a shivering governor. Oh, oh, just a, oh, just a chimney sweeper. It's only all the time. <laughs> You're like, no Dick Van Dyke, no chimney sweep things like that. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> yeah, so um, I checked out this movie, Goodnight Mommy, and um, I really fucking liked it. I really, really liked it. In fact, I have already went as far as to say it's in my top three horror for the year. Um, old. Yeah, it's, it's not. The thing about it is the twist is not the most original or remarkable twist but it has a brutal coldness that European cinema, I think above probably cinema anywhere else in the world, just handles really well. Um, the Europeans are not scared to finish a movie on a note, which is not exactly thematically pleasing to Americans, especially because I know the American audience tends to like a happy ending. Um, European cinema doesn't always go down that route. Um, I think it's a fascinating movie. I think it's a really well told story. There's plenty of misdirection in it. Even if you get one twist, there's a couple more in there that will throw you off guard. Central idea behind the movie is that we meet these two brothers. I think they're supposed to be twins, although it's never really identified as being twins but they're very close um, they are staying at their lake house with their mother who appears to have either had some sort of facelift um, or some sort of work done to her face medically because she's all bandaged up and the kids start to believe that their mother is not their mother it's someone else um, and that's all I'm going to tell you about the movie Uh so there's there's a lot of I I just think there's a really good use of tension and atmosphere throughout the movie that escalates the movie from pretty much the first maybe five minutes into the movie to the end just has this 
kind of almost overbearing sense of tension um, that just carries the movie right through to the end. Um, it's bleak, and as listeners of this show know, that is a tick for me. Anything <laughs> that's pretty bleak, I'm on point with. Um, and yeah, I just I, I thought the two kid actors are phenomenal in it. Um, I thought the character, the, the actress that plays the mother, was was pretty good as well. Um, the setting and location is kind of it's like a fancy cabin in the woods, really. Um, and yeah, fasc- fascinating movie. Really fucking good. It's really actually good. it's really playing uh, here now. Oh, right. And I'm gonna go see it probably Wednesday night. I think is is when we have set aside to watch that film. So fantastic you need to let me know what you make of it because I, I really think um and the thing is I, I i sometimes think that i sometimes think that i operate in my own little world when it comes to movies because i've been recommending I've, i do another show called doing the nasty um and i i do that with a, a fellow uk um person uh my, my co-host andy blockley and we were talking about this yesterday while recording one of the episodes of that everything i've recommended to him this year he's just been generally uninterested and, and unenthused um and i mean this is everything it follows spring um wormwoods uh the visit you know just like all these movies that i'm like have you seen this movie this movie has something really interesting in it um and this was one that I recommended to him and one that he watched and he switched off 50 minutes into it. Just didn't like it. Really? All right. Yeah. Yeah. He just said it bored him. So, and it is a bit of a slow burn, but um, yeah, it just, it didn't resonate with him. So I'm really keen to try and find like someone else that I know to give me their opinions on it. So I know if I am crazy. <laughs> so, right. You know, right. Crazy from the gloom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? In my ideal world, I would live in the movie The Mist. It just seems like so much fun. <laughs> uh, Including the tentacular creatures that, you know, yank you up into the sky as presumably to be eaten? Yeah, even better. I would just like to live in the last 30 seconds of the main character's head for the rest of Eternity Bowl. That's how, <laughs> that's how bleak <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be happy with that situation <laughs> just like randomly screaming at strangers yeah, uh, yeah i uh i actually kind of name checked or, or, or referenced uh that particular scene uh <laughs> last night as a matter of fact uh I, we were talking about the evolutionary possibility of flying bird-eating spiders <laughs> As you do. As you do. And I, I mean, sometimes, Bo, sometimes, Bo, it's difficult to get away from that conversation. <laughs> it's, it's, when I wake up in the morning, my first thought is, holy God, if spiders ever develop the ability to fly, <laughs> I'm done. And, and that was the conversation we were having. And I said, yeah, you know, if the minute I hear that that is a real thing, then I turn into Thomas Jane from The Mist when he's in the car. I'm just counting the bullets, seeing, like, all right, this is going to be the preferable way for all of us to go. You don't you don't want to get cocooned up by a bunch of flying spiders. <laughs> oh, God. So, yes, yeah, um, that, that's, that, uh, that's my take. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. I think it is... Pretty incredible. Not original at all. I don't think anyone anyone that's expecting. I think if it says because there's a lot of the difficulty is the press sometimes hype these things up to ridiculous levels, and sometimes the movies never really deliver on that hype. Um, 
I'm guilty of it at times. I, I sometimes feel that I speak so passionately about certain movies that people almost go in with a an unrealistic expectation of what the movie's going to be like. Um, and I, I, I just think if anyone says it's the most, you know, it's the scariest horror movie to come out of the last decade, that's a lie. You should never believe any any soundbite that says the scariest movie ever or the scariest movie of the year because i you know they seldom are to your seasoned horror fan maybe to your your kind of noobs um in the horror genre that that's there's a very good chance that that probably will terrify you but what i think this movie does incredibly well is it takes elements we've seen in other movies and just delivers them in a really focused really concise yet very tense horrifying way and that ending is is pretty fucking phenomenal i really really enjoyed that movie so that's my that's my good Mm -hmm. um my bad isn't actually a bad um it it has elements it's funny because i heard you talking about it on devour um and you were you were lavishing quite a lot of praise on it which kind of preempted me to watch the movie because i've kind of the marketing of Unfriended was such that it, it looked like it was not the movie for me. It looked like yeah. it was being aimed at a teenage market. Um, and it kind of put me off. It really kind of put me off, actually, when I thought of this idea of almost kind of like a horror movie that exists through social network. Um that kind of you know it, it didn't it didn't grab my attention. Didn't and you're me. right. That trailer was garbage. That trailer but, made so- me. It turned me off to the movie for sure. Yeah, and, and I can understand why the trailer exists in the way it does. It's aimed at that younger crowd. It's aimed to try and get them in. But it did nothing for me at all. And I, obviously, I'd heard you and Jamie Jenkins um, over in Devour speak fairly highly of the movie. So I was like, well, I'm going to give this a watch. I'm going to bump it up uh, my, my list of movies that I'm going to watch throughout um, October because I'm doing the whole 31-day challenge thing that everyone enjoys doing. I'm only doing it on movies that came out this year, though, which is a slight change to the rules. A lot of people watch their favourite horror movies throughout Halloween, which is, I do the same. But I'm like, if you're going to do a challenge to watch 31 movies in October, make them movies you've not seen. I I agree. That's the point. Um, So I watched Unfriended, and there is a whole lot of that movie to celebrate. Like, a whole lot of that movie works in a really interesting, really fresh, just, like, almost as if there's, a, there's, a, there's a, like, a strange genius behind that movie yeah. to make a lot of that turnover. Because if someone explained to me what was happening in that movie just in a verbal conversation, I would be turned off by it because I would think, that that's not going to work. Right. Well, because it's a real-time social media horror movie. Yeah, which sounds it's, terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's essentially we are looking from the other side of a laptop screen at someone who is interacting with our friends through Skype and conversations on Facebook and checking things on Google and all the rest. So that, that's that's kind of how this is existing, and it's a supernatural film, um, and a lot of it works really, really, really well, much better than it should be able to, and it it held my attention, which I didn't think it would be able to, and it really blindsided me, I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty fucking good, but there are negative aspects, and I kind of felt like they dropped the ball a bit, um, on, on one of the more fundamental aspects, 
And it would have been incredibly difficult for them to pull off. And I know why they didn't do it. The kills didn't grab me. The kills, one yep. of them was phenomenal. There's one in, involving a blender and a two-second shot of a blender, which I thought was just gnarly and incredible. But the rest of the kills were a bit mediocre and not quite... They didn't feel overly satisfying for the build-up behind them. Um, the ending wasn't great either, but it wasn't terrible. I've heard some people lay into this movie saying that the ending in this movie is terrible. The ending to me of this movie is fine. It's not. It's remarkable. very routine. Yeah, I think. It's, yeah. It's, it's not. It's not reinventing the wheel, but it's not a terrible ending. Um, and overall, I thought it was actually it, it was pretty good. It obviously it suffers from that that problem that a lot of kind of bigger studio Blumhouse movies actually are really bad for this at the moment when it comes to likable characters. But that's in you know an endemic problem right through a lot of kind of more studio based horror movies. Um, is that kind of root into liking characters? Even the one who goes through the transformation as the story goes long, even from the first time I met her, I, I didn't really like her as a character. However, generally, and this is to its movie's credit, when I watch a movie with unlikable characters, I tend to find that I lose interest. Not in this movie. Um, I followed it right through to the very end. So yeah, I think there are a lot of articles out there saying it's a very good movie. There's a lot of articles out there saying it is a terrible movie. I come somewhere in the middle, I think, with it. And I would say that if you're looking for something which feels a bit fresh, something that tackles a subject matter, which is only really going to be relevant for probably the next three or four years before the next big social media craze happens, um, then this movie ticks that. It, it really was... It was something that I felt that I wanted to talk about when it finished. And there's a lot of movies that I, I finished watching and I just don't want to talk about them at all, good or bad. I just kind of feel like, oh, I've seen it. It's a tick in the box for that movie. I've seen that one move on to the next. In the case of this one, when it finished, there was a lot I wanted to talk about. There was a lot of questions I would love to speak to the filmmaker about, you know, specific choices. How easy was it to get licensing for so many large companies i mean like the, the beauty of this movie is that it's a couple of things that i thought worked incredibly well for it one the fact that you are on facebook and it is called facebook you know not like friend yes. or something like that or and google Skype. and yeah and spotify yeah. and all that stuff yeah it uses things that you're familiar with and lends it a, a degree of authenticity because of it and the second thing i really liked is you do not see enough in movies that deal with computers or people speaking through computers, this ability to type out your first thought and then delete it off and then retype something else before you send it, which everyone does. Everyone does that. You, your initial first reaction to something when you type it, then you go, you read it back and go, ah, maybe that seems a bit harsh. Delete that back and maybe that's not my point or whatever. And spelling mistakes, spelling mistakes and messages. That never happens in any yeah. movie. And that happens in real life all the time. So the attention to detail on that aspect, phenomenal. I mean, like really, really, really good. Makes it feel realistic. The kills, unfortunately, I, I feel that the filmmakers spent so much time getting that right, they maybe dropped their ball or took the eye off. What it is like your, your average horror fan wants to see when it comes to some sort of supernatural slasher, is we want to see the kills. We want to see these these great kills, of which I only really felt one of them delivered. So, uh, but you you enjoyed it as well, didn't you? Yeah, I did, and I I think you're right. I think it one of the things that leads to this movie maybe even getting hyped more than it deserves to be 
is the fact that the expectations are so low for it. Yeah. That the fact that it's actually a pretty good movie Mm -hmm. makes people, you know, like the needle swings the other way where it's like, you know what? This was great. Um, I don't know that it's great. I think it's really good. And I, I agree with you. I think that most of the kills are disappointing and the ending is, is not, it, it feels like you could call that ending from a mile away and get it just right. But, um, but all that being said, yeah, I think you're right. I think it, 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 it displays social media and the use of it in a horror context that I've never seen before, even though other movies have tried. And this yeah. is the first one that got it right. And yeah, so it's, it's kind of an easy recommend for me. If someone hasn't seen it, it's like, you know what? Watch Unfriended. You're going to, you're going to be surprised at how, how much you probably like it. Um, so yeah, I thought it was, you know, it, it, I, as when I finished it, I was probably higher on the movie than I am now, just because I did go in with such low expectations mm-hmm. that by the end of that movie, I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe!" Like I expected to watch that and maybe not make it all the way through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I think that the unlikability of the characters in the movie is sort of part of the point of the movie as well. And and you're right; it, it's good that it doesn't make them so. It doesn't make them blandly unlikable. They're they're very unlikable people for the most part, mm-hmm. um, you know. And I think that's kind of intentional, uh, as you know, because the whole thing has to do with bullying and that sort of thing. So some of the characters are are kind of reprehensible to begin with, yeah. and and but they're they're reprehensible in an interesting way, as opposed to just being, you know, kind of the the stereotype. Um, but yeah, I I enjoy that movie. I, I'm. I haven't watched it again or anything, and I, I think I might. I, that might be one that um, I sit the lady down in front of and like watch this, and I'm going yeah. to I'm going to scare you periodically throughout the viewing of it because <laughs> uh, uh, I do think it builds tension pretty well. It does, yeah. There was there was a there was a degree uh, there was a certain degrees in the movie um, notched up. In a satisfying way for me, where I was like, "This is quite right." I, I kind of, I think I know where we're going. Right, this is where we're going now. That's very clever. Never saw that coming. You know that that sort of idea. Um, that you know, I think I think works to its benefit. And I think you're right. Maybe a lot of people like ourselves are going in with this idea that this movie is going to suck. And when it doesn't suck, we our, our kind of knee-jerk reaction is to lavish it with quite a lot of praise. Um, but I, I genuinely feel there's a lot in that movie to be celebrated. Sure, I mean, I mean sure. that, is, that is a difficult... That, to me, is a hard sell, that movie. Yeah. You know, uh, you know we're going to do this movie and it's going to be set over the internet and social media and, you know, it's, it's going to work on this premise that we're never going to be anywhere except seeing people through their Skype cameras or their webcams as a, as a very, very difficult sell, and I think it does it very well. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think yourself? it was pretty good. Um, checking out. Okay, so the movie I would recommend uh, for our listeners and yourself mm-hmm. is a documentary called Electric Boogaloo. Ah, right, so you enjoyed it. I did enjoy that quite a bit, uh, which is a story of uh, Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus, the brothers who ran Canon Films for a long mm-hmm. time, uh, producing such quality films as Ninja, Ninja 2, 
Ninja 3, The Domination, um, Missing in Action, Missing in Action 2, um, pretty much any movie that Michael Dudikoff was ever in, uh, <laughs> Masters of the Universe, that cinematic gem. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating look at sort of the, the, the heyday of that kind of movie making. Yeah. Of just like the good enough school of, of filmmaking where it's like, this is technically a movie and we should probably release it and see if we can make some money off of it. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the interesting part of it was how passionate, especially uh, Menachem Golan was about filmmaking and how much he really, there's almost an Ed Wood esque vibe to this. Because he really thought at times they were making a really good movie, and that was never the case. Mm-hmm. You know that, and and there are people who who proffer uh, their theories about why that is. You know, maybe the fact that you know he and his brother, or not brother, but his business partner, were um, Israeli, and just that sensibility didn't directly translate to American films and American sensibilities, and you know when they were trying to make. Uh, like Ninja 3, The Domination is one that they focus on a little bit, which is a movie about a a woman who works on uh, like an electrical company. Like, because I remember seeing a clip where she's like on a pole, on an electrical pole, like fixing something. But then in her off time, she's a dancer, which has elements of flash dance in it. And then she gets possessed by a ninja, <laughs> as you do. And uh, and then at the end of the movie, there's an exorcism. Uh, so and somebody pointed out, like basically, these guys took the movies, The Exorcist, you know, any of the ninja movies they were doing, and Flashdance, and crammed them all into one movie, and expected it to somehow work. <laughs> Instead of just being, you know, nigh unwatchable garbage. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And, and it's done by the same, uh, director, writer and director that did Not Quite Hollywood, which was about the Australian exploitation films. Love that, that documentary is one of my favorites, actually. Yeah. So this, this is very much that school of filmmaking of a lot of interviews with people who worked with them at the time and, you know, clips from the movies and, and inter, like archival interviews with the, uh, uh, Golan Globus themselves. And it, it has a really nice tag at the end of it as well mm-hmm. about like the, one of the stories they tell in the film is that when, when Canon films broke up and Golan and Globus parted ways, um, they both tried to, their next movies were one of them was Lombada. Mm-hmm. And the other one was the Forbidden Dance, okay. so they both made Lombada movies, yeah, <laughs> and were in this weird cinematic arms race to see who could get it out first. And it's such a telling story about how they viewed films and filmmaking and each other and the business and you know, like Canon Films was in a lot of ways this weird Ponzi scheme. At the end of the day where, you know, they were produced, like they were releasing one movie to pay for the movie that they were currently producing. And you could see how that house of cards was eventually going to come down. But, mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, it's a really interesting documentary. I, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. 
Uh, if you have any interest in filmmaking or bad movies or just have any fondness for that kind of 80s era VHS, you know, I'm going to go to the video store and, oh my God, look at the cover of this thing. I have to watch it. Um, you know, but like, especially those like Chuck Norris Invasion USA movies and shit like that. Oh, uh, yeah. Delta Force and stuff like that was all, was yeah. all that, wasn't it? Yeah, Delta Force was theirs. Death Wish 2 through 5 was canon films. So <laughs> there, there are some pretty good stories about Charles Bronson really phoning it in at the end of that. But <laughs> So, yeah, a highly watchable documentary and, and, and terribly entertaining. And also, you know, for a, a lover of movies like myself, it, there is almost this sort of Ed Wood charm to it all. Mm. where they they honestly at times are trying to make something good and they just can't. Yeah. Um, but so that was the good one. The bad one isn't really terrible. Oh, well, see, we're, we're, we're at least we're being consistent here. We're not, we're not bashing on anyone. Um, well, let's not speak so soon, Duncan. I saw a movie called The Visit, recommended to me by one Duncan McLeish. Right, I'm gonna. I'm, right, I'm gonna. Yeah, I've I've listened to your your kind of mini review of this. I think you can see it again on here, and I will counter because I think, um, I think, Mister Ransdell, that you you seem to have a mean pair of spectacles on when you saw this movie. A mean pair of spectacles. Yeah, that's the title of my autobiography. <laughs> um, <laughs> A mean pair of spectacles, the Bo Ransdell story. <laughs> All right, so here's what here's what I dislike about the visit, mm-hmm. and then I will tell you what I like about it. Um, I don't think either of the main characters, the two kids, are likable. I disagree uh, with that. Fair enough. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to turn your head around on this, but the 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 boy in particular, I found really really irritating. And everything he said made me want to punch him. And the girl, I I was more okay with, but even with her, I mean, there was a lot of kind of you know, we're making a movie kind of kind of in jokes and stuff, and mm-hmm. that's fine. Uh, that was less irritating. But every time that kid rapped, ugh, that kid is no Chuck D, sir. Uh, but that's the point. Yeah, but it's not it's not funny or cute. It just oh, makes him obnoxious. Yes. I think it's I think his rapping is absolutely awful, but awful in a hilarious way. I think his his purpose in the movie is to In fact I actually think that the portrayal of the two kids is actually pretty good in this movie. I d I don't it's funny because we've just come away from talking about a movie like um Unfriended where every single character is unlikable. Yes. Um and they kind of sum up the problems with kind of kind of sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds in in the world just now. Is this idea where twenty years ago that movie would have been about kids going out in the woods, um, but kids don't go to the woods anymore; they escape. Um, Rightfully so, so, they should not go in the woods. That is where <laughs> terrible things happen. <laughs> so this is a uh, that's kind of what that movie's about. I think w- what was really interesting about the the two kids is they felt like that little that little boy did things which little boys do. Like his open mocking of his grandparents at times was funny as fuck. <laughs> he does the scene where they're 
they're walking towards the well, and he's he. It's the night after he saw his grandmother run with her arms behind her back in front of the door, and he basically is like, it's like, who's this? Who's this? And then that was, yeah, that was one of the more charming things that character did. But he, he did a lot of that. I don't think he's. I don't think he's supposed to necessarily be likable. I don't. I think he's just supposed to be like. A kid who a, a white kid that thinks he can rap, and I know plenty of white kids that think they can rap, and none of them can rap. Um, that's the point. Yeah, I, I'm not saying you're wrong about that. I'm just saying as I'm watching the movie, his character just remained irritating as opposed to kind of lovably, you know, like there was nothing charming about his unlikability. And right, I'll and, tell you. And, and unfriended. There's nothing charming about their unlikability, but they also get punished horribly for their unlikability. I would say he gets punished horribly as well, Bo. All right, and we'll get to my favorite part <laughs> of this or any movie ever, baby. Um, but so I wasn't crazy about that about about the the kids, and you know, of course, if you, if you're not, it's it's kind of a tough slog because they're most of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that the not twist, but the reveal that comes in that movie. Um, I did not see coming. I wasn't really? looking. Well, I wasn't looking for it. Right, right. And, I, and so, I got a, I got a good half an hour before the movie finished. Um, but when it came, I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's kind of fun and and creepy. Um, and yeah, I'm like the the actors who played the the grandparents. I think were were suitably creepy. There's a you know a great scene where the girl is locked in a bedroom with the the grandmother. Yeah, that's really good. Um. You know, spoilers, just warning you ahead of time, because I'm going to tell you what is the greatest thing in this movie and, and <laughs> potentially any movie ever made, um, is that the kid who had been pissing me off the entire film gets a spoiled adult diaper right in the right in the puss. Yeah. Um, gets it ground in his face a little bit. Which, uh, which I mean, yeah, which seems horrible when you take into account as well that the kid has uh, an obsessive, compulsive anti-germ sort of yeah, mentality. He's, I mean, he's, he like meticulously is careful about what he touches and what he has near his hands and always washes, etc. And it's the fact that he acknowledges that you're, you're, you know, you're, he says just before it as well as like that, I never liked you. Yeah. Um, and is, I was totally on board with the grandfather at that moment. And, I was like, and then you he's, do like, this. You know, he just says that thing about, you know, being like, you don't like germs or you don't like unclean things. And then he smishes his shit-filled adult diaper right in his face. Um, which, so I would say that he, he gets a, a degree, right, maybe he doesn't get butchered like in a slasher movie, but, you know, I would say that he probably got the worst deal. Well, I don't know if I would be over, I don't know if I'd ever be able to get rid of that smell. Yeah, that's true. Haunt me, haunt me forever. So... Yeah, and I think I think there's there's a couple of like one shot sequences in this that I think are incredibly creepy. Um, there's one where the the girl is trying to track down her her, her granddad because of something that's going on with her grandmother, um, and enters the barn and sees him with a shotgun in his mouth, and he very quickly takes out. So, oh, I'm just cleaning it. I'm just cleaning it. With that, and it's just that one brief second. I think that's dark as fuck. <laughs> you yeah. Know what I mean? I thought that was really, 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 really creepy. Um, and I love the fact that everything in this movie is... I don't know if I should say this, actually. Um, well, I can, kind of. It's not spoiling it to an extent. Um, there 
there's a lot of this movie that is played down the line of there's, there could be something uh, supernatural going on at play, but everything's explained within the real world. I think that's to its credit. This is not Blair Witch, you know what I mean? Yep. In terms of film footage, this is everything's grounded in reality here. Um, it's a it's a very stretched reality, mind you. But um, I think this movie. Yeah, I think if you can't get on board with the kid actors, yes, I will understand why you you don't like the movie or or dislike aspects of the movie. Wasn't an issue for me. I found them actually quite entertaining. I actually found them quite funny as well, which I wasn't expecting from the the visit. Is I did laugh quite a lot at the movie just through their interactions because that's what kids do. Like little kids do that thing. I think it's because sometimes we have when we see little kids and and horror movies. I sometimes struggle with the portrayal of them. You know, they're either played to be creepy or they're, they're played to be, you know, too innocent or whatever. I kind of like the fact that the boy was a bit of a dick um, mm-hmm. because little boys are dicks. That's that's a, that's a scientific fact. Um, <laughs> that is science, yes. Yeah, little boys are dicks. I think maybe if the movie, on some level, the movie does, like all fan footage movies do, because they your characters you're following with cameras you're spending an inordinate amount of time with them that if you can't latch on to them, then... I know people that have told me that they hate the Blair Witch Project with a passion because they don't like the woman. Sure, they, sure. Uh, they, and that's... They're like that. It would work really well if she wasn't in it. Um, and and this, it comes down to the same thing. If you can't get behind the kids, then, yeah, you, you probably aren't going to like the movie. I totally could. I thought they were... Just some, once again, the thing that I found this year with found footage movies, the ones that I am enjoying are the ones that are doing things I've never seen before. I've never seen a found footage movie solely shot from a kid's point of view with, you know, humour in it and kind of this dark sort of kind of twisted environment and this this level of uh, of humour with it. Creep as well this year it totally has me on board 100% because it's a style of found footage movie I've never seen before. This idea of that being stuck with someone who is creepy and you don't know why he's creepy. You can't put your finger exactly on why he's creepy, but you know there's something off about the character and you you don't really find out until the very end. Um, I like that aspect as well. And I thought The Visit was... And like I said on that episode, I didn't think it was an amazing movie. And I'm, I'm loath to use the word return to form for M. Night Shyamalan because I'm not a big Shyamalan fan but as his take on found footage goes I actually thought it was pretty good yeah I don't think it's a terrible movie I, I had a problem with getting into it because I wasn't I wasn't okay. crazy about the performances from the kids or just the characters of the kids and, and even the way they talk to one another you know I don't have kids so I don't know you know all I know is that when I hear these two kids talk to each other I want to like shove a sock in their mouths and duct tape it in yeah um, <laughs> And we will speak off air though about the one thing that I that I hate about the movie, because um, I don't want to mention it here because it's a bit of a spoiler. But uh, we will speak off air about that, and that's obviously going to upset listeners. So if anyone wants to know, drop me a line, um, drop us an email, or get in touch through Facebook, and I will private message you with my particular gripe that I don't like, but I don't want to spoil it for anyone. So fair enough, fair enough. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Overall, I you know, if somebody uh, asked me if they should go see. Uh, the visit, I would say, you. There's one scene in particular that every <laughs> every man, woman, and child on the planet needs to see, and then <laughs> beyond that, let your conscience be your guide. But <laughs> I just love the fact that you. I almost imagine you fist pumping the air when it happens. 
I as yeah. as soon as it happened, I looked I looked at Simone and I was like, you know, I've never seen that in a movie before. And uh and it's true. And like I've thought the more I've thought about it, the more I'm like, you know what, that is if nothing else, that that movie changed my my perspective on what movies can get away with. <laughs> and at least you wonder why it never happened before in cinema. I, you know, I'm sure there there has been talk of, you know, fecophilia. I yeah. All right. Anyway, I'll I'll do the research. This may be there may be a side podcast that is just the history of feces in cinema. There's a, there's a Raiders of the Ark like in sequence, huge large CIA vault full of scripts with kids getting their face rammed right. in Shane nappies, which you've never seen the light of day in Shyamalan. Somehow, my yeah, yeah. Who who's working on this? Top people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, that warehouse. I kind of want to go. That's my my vacation home. Um. <laughs> I also like the fact that you refer to it as shitty nappies. That yeah, makes well, me very that, happy. That's what they are over here. <laughs> yeah. It's what they should be everywhere. This is one one time I'm getting on board with Europe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like Fortnite and I like nappies. Why why we don't bring that over, I don't know. Maybe maybe President Trump, or as he will be known, uh, Grand Ruler Trump. Yes. Um will will incorporate that into the American Yeah, yeah <laughs> Der Trumper. Der Trumper. That's uh, here. <laughs> but Duncan. Yes. Uh, now that we have uh, discussed, you know, alternate movies, let's get right into the meat of this. Um, I feel like we uh, are due to talk about Calvair first. Yes, I think you're right. And I am excited to do so because I have questions. Oh, right. Oh. Yes. I I, I didn't realize I was getting questionable. Yeah, well, you are you have things to answer for. Um, <laughs> and, and just questions I have about the movie that I have been, I've been pondering for, you know, nigh a week now mm-hmm. and trying to figure out for myself, but I haven't. I haven't done the kind of research I feel like I should, but but Duncan, if you would, yes, why sir. don't you introduce myself and our audience to the film Calvaire? Yes, right. So, um, like Bo said, this is a, a horror show this time. That was our genre. Um, it's very difficult to pick a movie within that genre. I, I, I'm saying it's very difficult. I think if we sat down, both of us are going to have that gap somewhere. Um, and... Uh, are things that we we both tend to focus on. We have our loves within the genre, so we will kind of more focus on them and sometimes the opportunity to miss certain movies, especially if they're not from our own territories, is is high. And um, I chose this one because I recently did it as part of... um, one of the shows I do, the Midnight Horror Show, we did a European tour and we picked... Uh, 13 countries in Europe and each week we talked about four movies from that country and one of our stops was Belgium which is not a country renowned for its uh, its horror it's more known for really bad jazz music kind of bland chocolate beer and waffles um, and that's not sweeping like stereotypical generalizations that is kind of what the country is known for um, but it does have a kind of interesting 
horror community. So uh, Calvier uh, came out in 2004, was directed by Fabrice de Wills, um, and has a cast of people from Belgium that I'm not reading out. Um, and the synopsis is listed on IMDb as a singer's car breaks down deep in the woods. Totally accurate. Which is accurate and very vague. And it doesn't give away absolutely anything because that happens in the first five minutes. It doesn't really give away anything what happens in this movie. What we should probably do is play a small clip, which unfortunately uh, will be in a foreign language. However, I I trust that Bo will pick something which conveys maybe an ounce of the madness that uh, is encapsulated throughout this movie's hour and a half. Um, so we will come back right after this clip. Here we go. So, um, yeah, like I say, that that clip <laughs> kind of sums up the madness. <laughs> um, yeah, th- this movie, uh, I saw this movie a long time ago. I wouldn't say I saw it when it came out, but it wasn't far off it coming out. I think it got released in the UK circa 2006. So I would have saw it about 2006. Um, and this movie hurt my brain, Bo. It kind of hurt my brain um, and disturbed the ever-loving fuck out of me. Um, this movie came out, for those that are kind of history historians of horror, uh, you will know that there was a big push kind of mid-2000s towards European horror cinema, specifically amongst the French and the Spanish. There was a, you know, a heavy spotlight Shown on both, and Belgium is practically France, so what did not surprise me that they got involved as well. And this was their offering, um, a movie which makes Deliverance feel like Mary Poppins. Um, Accurate, yes. Yeah, it really, really does. Not, I know that's the second reference for Mary Poppins, and I'm not singing again. Um, but yeah, it's it's incredibly weird. It's incredibly strange. It is very very powerfully unsettling in a way which very few films can claim to do and it's relatively unwatched and unknown um bo had you even heard of this one before i picked it for you yeah i'd heard of it uh in much the same context that you were describing where it's like this is you know kind of one of that wave of of the uh you know new wave of european horror that was kind of extreme and it was actually kind of tough to get my hands on it strangely Oh, right. Um, so I, I overpaid a little bit for a DVD of this. Um, not, not because of the quality of the movie or anything, but just as far as DVDs go, it was a little pricey because it is not, uh, uh, widely available here. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it is a movie I was aware of, but didn't know much about other than, like, all I knew of the synopsis was pretty much what IMDb had to tell me. Yeah. Which was, hey, it's about a guy who breaks down and weird shit happens. Yes. And saying weird shit happens is like saying the sun is a little warm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like bring some shorts. (laughs) Um, 
it, <laughs> it it starts it starts weird. It, like even before you you get to the breakdown and you're dealing with uh the character of Mark Stevens is his name. And a uh, good solid American name, Mark Stevens. Um <laughs> So Mark is uh, a singer and he's playing, you know, a lot of you know, kind of gigs that you have to work as a not quite making it musician. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's singing old uh, crooner ballads at a nursing home. Yeah. <laughs> where he gets come on to by both one of the old ladies mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in, a, in a pretty weird scene. I'm gonna try not to use the the adjective weird. It's, it's and, difficult with this movie, it really and, is. and it's gonna be tough. And then and then one of the nurses also kind of gives him a, a little little bit of a come on, and uh, and Mark, to his credit, is like, no thanks, I'm going off to make it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be a singer, and instead he's gonna be somebody's man wife. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> he, so yeah, so the car breaks down. Um, he finds a guy looking for a dog and, uh, who directs him to an inn, um, run by a guy named Bartel. And so Mark is staying at this inn, waiting for the, the, his car to be repaired. And Bartel tells him it's the car battery. And there's some weird stuff with Bartel getting him to sing to him and stuff like that. And it's a little unnerving. But it's nothing that is beyond the the realm of reason. Mm-hmm. And then comes the day when Mark Stevens is looking around for Bartel, who is mysteriously missing, and finally runs uh, runs into him as Bartel is smashing up Mark's van, mm-hmm. and then clocks him in the head with the car battery that, in theory, was going to repair said van. And then the van is set on fire. Mark wakes up in a dress with his head being shaved and Bartel is asking him is, is does Bartel call him Gloria as well? Yes. Yes. Okay. So calls him Gloria and then demands to know why Gloria came back. Meanwhile, poor Mark Stevens is like, the fuck is going on here? And that is pretty much the rest of the movie is you, the viewer asking yourself, the fuck is going on here um so yeah he's uh, you know kind of seen as like here's the the shit about this movie that is both inscrutable and kind of wonderful Mm -hmm. the fact that everyone seems to think that pigs are dogs um is weird and and great uh at one point bartell goes to the local pub which is the the clip you heard earlier and orders a beer, and that just leads to this bizarre scene where they're banging on a piano and everyone is doing this creepy monster dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the guy who was looking for his dog actually comes back with a pig, but he says he's found his dog. And correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong. <laughs> So then the the locals show up because their dog has been stolen. Keep in mind, the dog is a pig the entire time. And then they kill, or they shoot Bartel 
and the kid and and uh, the the guy looking for his dog who's you know a companion of Bartels then Mark Stevens thinks he's going to get away because now the people who have been holding him hostage have been shot although not quite dead and it turns out he's just kind of going from the frying pan to the manwai fire yeah where he is now being chased by a bunch of people who call him Gloria and are tracking him down through the use of a a a, a blood pig as opposed to a bloodhound mm-hmm. leading to a chase through the Belgian wilderness and at least two different ecologies resulting in him finally telling a guy that uh as Gloria that he loved him as the guy sinks into snow-covered quicksand and dies. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the end of the movie. It's pretty much spot on, Bo. All right. Um, and it is just as bizarre as it sounds. It is Like, this is a movie completely built around the idea of atmosphere, what the hell is going on, oh my god, that's worse than I thought. Yes. And, like, at one point he's crucified and, you know, nails driven through his wrists. Um, there is, you know, implied sodomy on at least two occasions. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of blood. There are, uh, you know, I, the thing that, all right, the, the point where it was just like, the fuck is happening here <laughs> is, is when the, the pigs start getting referred to as dogs. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is, I almost feel like I always do with, with kind of foreign cinema. I always feel like there's some subtext that I'm missing, but during the course of Calvair, I actually thought, you know, maybe I'm not missing anything. Maybe it's just this weird. Yeah. I you think know, you're spot on. Yeah. I think there's nothing, there's nothing in this one that screams to me of uh, a disconnect and, and kind of storytelling or folklore or anything. This is just that weird. Yeah, and it's it's super atmospheric, it's super unnerving, it, it's really tense. Um, as I was watching it, like, th- there's not a, a concise narrative through line. Like, the, mm-hmm. the story that I, I was kind of telling you, just to make sure I had it right in my head, <laughs> is, I mean, that's the story of the movie. There's a lot of just these really weird head-scratching things that happen. Like the scene in the bar where you're like, what is going on in this town? And there's no real explanation given to you. Mm-hmm. It's just, this is this weird, you know, Belgian town. And for God's sake, don't ever go there mm-hmm. because you're going to end up being called Gloria and have your head shaved and probably being chased through the snow in a dress. And that's not the way anyone wants to spend a weekend. Yeah. That's, that's not a good holiday. It's <laughs> not a good holiday. Um, <laughs> you know, or maybe it is, if it is, I, I think I've got the town for you, but yeah, it's like all the stuff that I have question marks over my head about are things like, you know, here's this, uh, like, why does everyone call him Gloria? Had he ever been to this town? I mean, I don't think so. No, no. I I think I might be able to answer with my interpretation of the movie. So let's hear it. Right, so so basically, I think there was a Gloria at some point. I think she was married to the the innkeeper, uh, for la- for lack of a better word. Um, I think that she slept around a bit in this small Belgian town, and I think she 
was either killed or eventually left, um, ran away. <clears throat> and I think the town is, I think the town on some level, well, the town is very strange anyway, <laughs> let's, let's get that out of that. When, I think this just resets every time someone has ever stumbled across the town. I think this innkeeper, um, for some reason, just claims anyone that comes, you know, anyone that's not from the town must be Gloria coming back. Um, and I think his psychosis is basically the town's psychosis. I think that when he claims that she is Gloria, all of them claim that she, he is Gloria. Um, and because all of them had, had a shot at Gloria, um, they all come for Gloria, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um and I think that's about as as far fetched and weird as it sounds. I think this movie, to me, taps into the kind of weird, kind of subconscious of nightmares, which very few movies can handle. I think Argento sometimes has his finger on the pulse with it, um, but I think this this movie feels like a waking nightmare from start to finish. Things don't make sense at all. Um, you're given weird sequences which don't really, never explained. Nothing in this movie is explained, um, and as such, it is like it is like peering into the sadistic, twisted mind of someone for a second and then being pulled back out. But that second is the length of the movie. Um, I think it is shot beautifully. I think the the yeah. cinematography of this movie is so, so good. Um, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. The reason this movie, I think, is one of the most underrated horror movies of the 2000s um, is that it just keeps getting stranger and stranger. And on some level, we should be sitting there saying, this is so preposterous now, but we've went through these incremental shifts and in weirdness from, all oh, right, he's now stuck. Oh, this guy's looking for his dog. That's a bit weird. All right, now we're at the end. Why is this guy a bit, you know, when's the van going to get fixed? Oh, now he's destroying the van. Why is he shaving my head and calling me Gloria? Why is everyone trying to rape me? You know what I mean? It's this build up. <laughs> yeah, the number of times I've asked myself that question. <laughs> And the, the thing about it is, as well, is that the it taps into that, it taps into that, you know, that subconscious fear that all guys have about male on male rape, um, which you know it's not often done in movies because it is that fucking taboo. Uh, it still is that taboo. You, you're more likely to see a woman raped in a movie than you are to see a guy raped. Um, and oh for sure for yeah sure. and and the sequences where guys are raped in movies tend to be the ones that are are put out as the most disturbing in cinema history deliverance pulp fiction you know what i mean these these movies get these sequences become like removed from the movies and almost put on a completely different level when people are talking about you know horrific scenes in horror where in theory people should be talking about last house on the left i spit on your grave you know like things which are you know the the, the equivalent done to females are sometimes glossed over um and i'm not saying everyone glosses over them i just mean just in general people don't because they, they are almost on some level far more common in cinema than this i think it yeah yeah i i just to that point i think that there is a glossing over a female rape in film where it, it, it's not like that is such a utilitarian plot device. How many action movies start with, Oh, this guy's wife got raped. So now he's got to go crazy. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yes, this movie does do a nice job of like, 
oh no, here's how horrible it is, and male or female, the idea of being powerless and raped is terrible. Yeah, and the, I think that you, once again, like one of the the things that I think is most disturbing parts of this movie is the fact that he finally thinks the Thames people have come to rescue him, and then that horrible, horrible sinking feeling that now he would have probably been better off with with the, the innkeeper. You know, things, you know, as bad as they were, the situations have has become so much worse now. Um, I think it's, I genuinely find this movie not just disturbing in parts, but I find it one of the most unsettling watches. I just think it's a creepy, creepy, unnerving movie. And that is such a difficult thing to pull off in a horror movie after 2000. Um because we've already seen so many stories told. We've already seen so many, you know, films that cover so much ground that anything that can make me feel uncomfortable watching it. I mean, I've sat through movies like a Serbian film and been told, this will fuck you up. And I watched it and got to the end and I was like, that's just all used for shock. And to be honest with you, I don't think, you know, it's... I just don't think it's, you know, the subject matter, yes, but I think the execution's awful. Um, so it loses points for me. You know, Human Centipede is a movie that, will, you know, watched it, thought this is a fairly bland movie. Um, you know, these sort of things, they don't, they don't grab you with the same ferocity that this movie does. And it holds your hand over the fire of... It's that, it's that feeling of you can't take your... You can't take... You, you want to take your eyes away from the screen but curiosity will compel them to remain fixed on the screen as you just watch some of the craziest things in cinema just unfold. And every time the movie, every five minutes, the movie finds a way to outdo itself. I just don't know how you do that. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, it, I genuinely think this movie is, like, I, what I don't throw it off, and I think it's fucking incredible. I think it's, and I don't know if that... I've not really given you any answers to anything at all, really. I don't think I just kind of just kind of tried to will my my opinions on Toppy as to why I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, I I think it is. It, it's certainly unlike almost any movie I can I can recall seeing in recent memory. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it is very effective. It is very unnerving. It is it, it's disturbing. It you know it's all of those things. The one thing it is not is a clear narrative film, you yeah. know, then. And so if our listeners are going to check this movie out, be warned, like, don't, this is a movie that you kind of sit down and you let it happen to you as opposed to, um, you know, much like rape at a certain point, you have to give in and you just let it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it is a, it's an experience more than it is a story. And, you know, so take that as you, as you will, uh, for our listening audience. But yeah, it, like I said, it is unlike anything I, I, I've seen in a while. It definitely got that bar scene is the one that really gets me. It really it's, does. Oh, it's so, so strange. So, so strange. It's like you almost feel like when people talk about, um, like when you see like, the, the the ten scariest moments in cinema history and all the rest are the fifty scariest moments in horror cinema or whatever. That sequence needs to be featured 
picture somewhere, not because I think it's particularly scary, is weird and unnerving in a way which, and I don't know why. It's just dancing strange, and they're just acting a little bit goofy. Why is it so strangeable? It kind of reminds me of the scene from uh, A Field in England, where oh. they, where the guy comes out of the tent with a rope yeah. around him, and he's got the mad expression on his face. Yeah. And, you know, it's that sort of thing of, like, what is he smiling at? What happened in that tent? And you're like, what is going on in this bar? When did they all decide to dance like this? Why is he playing the piano like that? Yeah. Like, what what happened to this town that led to this moment that I'm witnessing? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, 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 so shall we talk about mutant alligators now, Duncan? I think I think there is absolutely no reason that anyone could ever put up, even the the most skilled philosopher could put forward a claim to any reason at all that we should now not talk about giant mutant alligators. <laughs> a, a bit of a palate cleanser, if you will. This is uh, this, this is the cinematic sorbet. Oh, uh, oh man! After after the. The cacophony of flavors that is Calvair. <laughs> now comes a straight down the middle meat and potatoes giant alligator movie. Uh, <laughs> as American as fuck, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I, I looked at a scanned VHS copy of the of the artwork, and it almost looks like the color scheme is red, white, and blue. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You know, you know what's American as shit? Buying <laughs> buying exotic animals and flushing them down on the goddamn toilet. <laughs> that is, if there's, if that's not a metaphor for America, I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, Duncan. So, mm-hmm. as you said, this is a red, white, and blue hued uh, look at. Uh, what happens when you flush an alligator down the toilet? Um, so here's here's why I recommended this movie. First of all, I do have a love of the giant monsters in films, and this is a big ass alligator. Mm-hmm. And on that level alone, you got me. But okay, so this this film also has a really interesting pedigree. It is directed by Louis Teague, who went on to do like Cujo and Cat's Eye and. You know, some arguably uh, good Stephen King adaptations and mm-hmm. some stuff that's maybe not so good. Um, but more importantly, I think, it is written by John Sayles, who is the screenwriter who also wrote uh, Piranha. Oh. But more importantly, did a lot of really important films uh, in the 70s and 80s, like Madawan. Uh, he did... Uh, uh, Return of the Secaucus Sk- 7, um, Battle Beyond the Stars, which is a movie that everyone should watch. He wrote The Howling, mm. um, Brother from Another Planet. I mean, just a, a, an incredible list, like City of Hope, P- Passion Fish. I mean, you name it, there are... This guy has written some amazing stuff. And Alligator, before I get into the official synopsis thereof, Alligator is essentially a... Kind of a Jaws knockoff. Mm -hmm. But it is a Jaws knockoff done right, where attention is paid to the characters and the story and things tie in together and blah, blah, blah. So uh, let's do the synopsis first, which is 
uh, a baby alligator is flushed down a Chicago toilet, as happens, and survives by eating discarded laboratory rats, which is incorrect, it's dogs, injected with growth hormones. The small reptile grows gigantic, escapes the city sewers, and goes on a rampage. All of that totally accurate as well. <laughs> um, like I said, directed by uh, Louis Teague. It is written by John Sayles. Uh, it, it stars Robin Forster. Uh, or Robin. Robert Forster, uh, who is kind of great in the movie and also has uh, Michael Gazzo as the uh, police chief, who's pretty mm. great in it. And a lot of bit actors that when you see him, you're going to be like, hey, I know that guy. Um, and the scene uh, I will play for us here and for our listeners is the one where they first go to uh, Robert Forster uh, after um, encountering the alligator in the sewers, goes to Marissa, who is a, a herpetologist, a, a reptile expert, who quickly dismisses the idea of a giant alligator in the sewers of Chicago. And here is that scene. It was bigger than 15 feet. An alligator half that size would starve in a week. There's no sunlight. There are toxic fluids and gases. Not to mention the question of how it got there in the first place. You're looking at the one who saw it. And it was big. You said it was dark. Now, perhaps you're mistaken. Okay. Thanks very much for your help. Can I borrow this book? You can have it. Excuse me. Uh, Dr. Kendall, could there be another animal down there that could possibly be this size? Nothing I know of. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, Duncan, I, uh, you know my love of, of the monster movies. That's okay, no... Indeed. Uh, you're no stranger to this. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, I recommend it because it is a superior version of most of the cheap knockoffs i th i think the alligator looks really good in this movie um i think that there are a couple of scenes in particular such as when an alligator bursts through the sidewalk uh out of the sewers to terrorize some some kids <laughs> in local local tufts uh that i think is great and there is also just a massacre at a garden party that i find particularly delightful but uh my opinion of this movie kind of don't matter um, Duncan, what did you make of the 1980 giant reptile classic, Alligator? Um, well, I had never seen this movie, obviously, um, in keeping with the show. I was aware of it, but I didn't know too much about it at all. Obviously, I knew from the title, <laughs> um, I knew what I was kind of getting. Uh, <laughs> they don't the hide the fact that there is an alligator featured in the film. Yeah, it's, but it's not, it's not, um... The title isn't ambiguous, like uh, Food of the Gods, for example, which, you know, could be anything. Um, when you watch that movie, you know, which also has giant animals. Um, you know, it, 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 this movie pretty much wears its heart and its influence on its sleeve. Um, and like you say, there's there are so many of the kind of nature gone amok movies which spawn out of the fact that Jaws was such a huge success. I mean, such a huge success. So a lot of movies try and replicate that formula with varying degrees of success. And Alligator takes the takes the premise, turns that kind of urban legend, American urban legend anyway, kind of slant on things that, you know, if you flush an alligator down the, the toilet, it could survive in the sewers and 
you know, it may be able to eventually get to stage where it can pick off people or eat small animals or you know, whatever the whatever the tale is. We don't have such tales over in my country. Um, although, strangely enough, a lot of people believe that there's a giant dinosaur in a lake in Scotland. So I don't know. I'm not familiar <laughs> with that story, but I'm, I'm curious now. <laughs> Maybe they do. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I'd never seen Alligator before. And within the first two to three minutes, this movie had me in for the long haul. When an irate, over-the-top, grumpy father grabs his daughter's tiny, tiny, tiny pet alligator. And, you know, we'll just tell her the like, same thing that happened to the hamster we found in. And we get, you know, like, it's, it's, it's a great I'm, accent. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Flush yeah. it down the toilet, angry dad guy. Um, he's like that. Because, uh, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, if they couldn't be bothered buying, you know, hamster food, which is generally quite small and not plenty full for the creature. You don't have to give a hamster too much to feed it. I can't imagine them bringing whole sheep. Or, you know, it's like that scene from Jurassic Park. Right. Where the- I can't imagine them doing that for the alligator. So the dad did it, you know, something which is like makes a lot of sense ergonomically and economically speaking. He got rid of that motherfucker, flushed it down the toilet, and uh, we jump forward twelve years, and we are are put in this scenario where there is testing on animals, which I would imagine in the the nineteen eighties would have been a touchy subject. It still is kind of, but I would imagine it would have been some sort of there's a weird kind of morality tale somewhere in the background of this movie, I think, or maybe I'm looking too much into it about... I, I think there I is, but it's just, yeah, it's not front and centre by any stretch. Yeah, so th- there's basically, there's there's a series of experiments being carried out in these dogs, has to be carried out in these dogs, um, with this, this kind of growth mutation gene therapy sort of thing like that, and none of it's taken, it's not working with anything, and this uh, dodgy kind of used car salesman-esque pet shop owner um, is involved with this. He's rounding up street dogs and taking them. They're getting experimented on. When it doesn't work, he is charged with disposing of the bodies. Why they don't burn them in a furnace is beyond me. I mean, that to me would be the sensible thing to do. Or pay off someone at a crematorium and just, like, batch burn them. I don't know. But they decide anyway they're going to put them into a trolley and wheel them down into the sewer, as you do. Uh and it just so just so happens that our buddy the alligator has survived these twelve years and has been eating the experimentation um, done on these animals, and uh, as a result of that, has grown to a leviathan Is that a word? <laughs> leviathan esque, maybe. Yeah, I think that sounds better. Um, <laughs> for a Scotsman, that's a difficult word to say. Sure. Ski. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, it grows to such a huge size that um, it becomes the the new apex predator in the food chain. Man is no longer at the top, and uh, we are introduced to this character uh, of David, who's a police officer, who's played by Robert Forster, who is phenomenal in this movie. I really like him as an actor. Anyway, I've yep. always had a, a love of the the kind of work he did especially in the exploitation cinema of the kind of the the 70s um but it's great to see him in this kind of movie playing this this kind of no frills fairly pissed off police officer who um seems to have kind of spinal tap syndrome with partners 
whenever he yeah. gets partnered with someone, that partner dies. Um, <laughs> so uh, he's um, he's <laughs> he's kind of in this position where he's assigned to this case. It's all to do with things that are happening in the sewers. It's a bit weird. He investigates a bit further. His partner gets carried away by a creature of some sort. No one will believe him because no one ever believes anyone in these animal gone amok movies until something really bad happens. You'd never believe the character. And kind of rightly so. If I was a police officer, I came running in saying, there's a giant alligator in the sewers and he ate my partner. I would probably be put on suspended leave as well. Um, Especially when they go to an expert, as the clip suggested, who is yeah. like, "There's no, they don't get that big. First yeah, of all, and even in captivity where they're being fed regularly, they don't get that big. So, um, but our cop starts investigating a bit further into this kind of these dealings by this this vet who's experimenting um, on animals who kind of brushes it all away. It's nothing to do with him. Um, nothing to do with anything that he's doing. And uh, he ultimately it follows a very similar pattern to a lot of these movies um he ultimately finds evidence people start to believe him by this point it's too late the animal is out and about um he teams up with this uh, this woman who's a specialist in reptiles and and it, is the uh patron of the alligator in question because she's yes. the girl from the beginning of the movie She's the exactly so she's all grown up twelve years later. Um and I will be I'll be honest, I thought Robin Riker was really good in this as well, really enjoyed him. In fact, I think generally, even the bit parts by like you were saying, actors that I mean Henry Silva appears at one point, I was like, Holy fuck. Yeah. Um everyone that's in here is is basically doing their job and doing their job right. It's it's a very steady, secure cast of people playing exactly the roles they have to in a way which is Totally believable for the amount of time they're on screen. Um, and we, we, we end up with this, you know, once again, this scenario of only only our only our hero can take down the alligator. And it ends, it, it goes through a series of, of kind of set pieces, which are wonderful. Um, I, you know, the, the ways they try and shoehorning deaths in this movie are fantastic like some people running up a street and then a cop car falling to the side and then the cop try to climb out of his car which is on fire and the alligator coming up and biting his leg off you know these sort of ideas it's like it's like we need to find a way to get someone in here we'll set up a car crash (laughs) you know what i mean but i'm I'm not against that i'm like that yeah eat the cop (laughs) because that's what i like if i'm gonna watch an animal gone you know our nature grown a muck movie i want to see people get eaten that's the whole point yes. of these movies so i i appreciate that the scene you were talking about the garden party is ph- phenomenal when you have a giant alligator's tail smacking against a limousine um and an old man in there just shitting himself it's phenomenal um so yeah and, and it goes the way you expect it to go the ending ultimately results in this bomb getting set off and the alligator being blown up and in classic fashion for these movies well at least we got them and then we pan back down to the sewer just in time to see another alligator fall through the pipe so the the cycle begins again and I mean it, it follows those marks what, what makes this movie great um, and I will say that this movie is great is that it treats it the, the movie itself is, is, it is kind of schlocky but it's done with a degree of professionalism, which a lot of these movies aren't handled with. The director actually really pulls off a, a, a very well-shot, pulled-together 
story in this movie, which works for me. The cast all work great. Um, and the effects are actually pretty cool. I think the, the actual effects of the alligator are really good. I mean, they could be... On any other movie, this could probably be horrible, but the, the, for the glimpses we see, it totally works. It totally looks like an alligator. I believe it. Um, so, yeah, I, there, there is very little I could... In fact, I don't think there's anything I can complain about this movie at all. I think it does exactly what it says on the tin. For a movie called Alligator, this movie delivers. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. I, I, I want you know. I can't sit here and, on some part, I feel like I should sit here and say, "Well, yeah, it's cheesy by today's standards." But I mean, that's that's an unfair swipe at a movie like this. This movie is not meant to stand up to scrutiny you know, 30 years after being made. That's not the purpose of the movie. The movie is meant to say, in this time period, you know, with the knowledge you have, or I have, of Nature Gone Amok movies, how does this movie compare to them? And this is one of the better ones. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, there are things that I really, really like uh, within the film. Like, there, there was a great shot when uh, Robert Forster and his partner are first investigating the sewers, mm -hmm. and there's a brief moment where the light illuminates behind them and yeah. you see the alligator's head there just kind of checking them out. Yeah. And that's like a great shot. Um, there, the, like you said, the scene with the alligator just crushing a car and the dude within is pretty fantastic. Um, Robert Forster is really good. I like the running gags about him losing his hair yeah. in the movie. Um, you know, and there's kind of, the, like, all the side characters are given more attention than most of these kinds of movies. Like, even um, Marissa's mother is yes. a yeah. real character. You know, she's this kind of chattery lady that they make jokes about later in the movie. And, um, yeah, and the, the alligator effects I do think work. Like, even when they do that kind of forced perspective thing of creating models that are slightly smaller than the real thing and putting a real alligator in mm -hmm. them. I think that looks pretty convincing. Oh yes. And you know, seeing the alligator kind of, you know, clamber down, uh, the sewers and stuff is, is kind of creepy looking. And, and when somebody gets eaten by an alligator, it does not seem like the way you would want to go. No. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of, you know, loose body parts roaming around in this movie and, <laughs> you know, arms and legs, you just kind of run across and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it is, it's a very straight ahead, no frills kind of monster movie. Um, I just think it's, it's done right. My biggest complaint with the movie is that when you get the alligator cam of him like sneaking up on somebody, yeah. the music played there is a little too Jaws. <laughs> yeah, there, is, there is one sequence which I was like, oh yeah, we know what the main influence is. I think it's difficult as well though because Jaws... I mean, at, on some level Jaws is doing a riff on Psycho when you think about it. Right, right. The reveal. Jaws is doing the same thing, but we don't criticize Jaws for doing that because Jaws is doing it in a different environment. It's very difficult then to put any sort of dramatic stab music over any animal after that point without comparing it to Jaws. It's difficult. I, I think. Hey, what other what other sort of music do you play there? And I can't think of what I would play there. You know what I mean? So I come back to this idea of ah, yeah. I, I mean. 
It's all about context. Is this movie trying to be Jaws? Not really. Um, Because there's plenty of... There's plenty of other ways you could have done it. It's heavily influenced by Jaws, but any nature gone up movie after Jaws is influenced by Jaws. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's different. I, I genuinely think of all the ones I've seen, and I've seen quite a few, and we did quite a lot on Grave Shift Radio, uh, your recommendation. And prior to me joining that show, I followed you through, you know, G- Grizzly and you know these sort of movies as well. And having seen some that I don't like, it just highlights the ones I really do like. And it doesn't surprise me that the it's the same guy that wrote Piranha that wrote this movie. Yeah. Because Piranha is another movie that I really enjoy and it's because the characters feel realistic. The story's great. You know, that sort of idea as well. So I can see I can see a connection to that. I, I don't think it's as good as Piranha, but I think it's not far behind it. I, I genuinely think this movie is a whole hell of a lot of fun and... I don't know why it took me so long to watch it. I really, really, really don't. Um, but I'm glad I've seen it now. And it's a movie I'll definitely go back to. There's no way that you can't enjoy a movie like this. You'd have to be dead inside. <laughs> yeah, it it is very satisfying. Like, they, they don't... Once the, the alligator kills start coming, they come at regular intervals. And, you know, it. the movie doesn't try to pretend that you're not there to see an alligator eating people. Mm-hmm. And... Do you see a lot of people get eaten by an alligator? <laughs> you do, <didn't> you? <laughs> uh, and it's a big ass alligator, and that's you know, you know, yeah. Like you said, it's one of those movies that here's what the movie promises, and it fulfills that promise. And mm-hmm. I, you know, you can't say much. Like you know, it's sort of like our discussion of Unfriended. It's like this is what this movie set out to be, mm-hmm. and the fact that it's not more than that, it's hard to criticize it for because. You know, if it gets too ambitious, it falls apart. And Alligator is just like, look, we're going to, here's a big ass alligator. We're going to give you a reason why it's so big. Then it's going to eat a bunch of people. And then we're going to blow it the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the scene where the alligator gets blowed up is actually really good too. I think that's a good effect. <laughs> and yeah, you know, although I will say like they telegraph how the movie is going to end so early on with like, oh, there's all this methane down here in the sewers. and Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it does, it does. But in, in such a way that I'm not, yeah. I, 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 it has a charm about it, bro. It has a charm. They don't do movies like this anymore. And when they try and do movies like this anymore, they play it too goofy. Yeah, you know what I mean. It it's becomes Zombievers like, or something, as opposed yeah, to. Yeah, and I, I love Zombievers, but that movie is played specifically goofy. And there's, I mean, this movie, it has a charm about it in a way where you know there's a there is a, a nostalgia for movies like that that I have that you know having grown up seeing seeing a few of them you know remember how great it is to watch movies where we didn't have to be too fantastical. Um, well, I suppose a giant mutated alligator is quite fantastical, but you know what I mean? We didn't, we didn't it's have still to... science, Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> it's still real to me, goddammit. <laughs> right. um, it's growth hormones in dogs, and they're disposed of in the sewers, and the alligator eat it. So what, what do you want? That's science. That is <laughs> water on Mars, giant alligators in the sewers. Both of those equally probable. <laughs> But yeah, can it, it please? And there is a there is a comforting 
factor about this movie knowing from the moment it starts you know where this movie's ending and you know that there'll be a sequel and i was checking out and there was so yeah i i don't know that i've ever seen the sequel to it because i i've heard that it's just miserably bad well i wonder why i think this is great because the second one is called alligator 2 the mutation and i'm like that's alligator 1 you know what I mean? It was mutated in alligator, so I don't understand. Was it? Was the next mutation? Does it have wings? Does it become one of those wing, wing creatures you were on about at the start of the show? I don't know. It was made eleven years after, though. So it has the power of speech, Duncan. It is a talking <laughs> giant alligator. Oh, like, see if it was a talking giant alligator like that talking gremlin from Gremlins Two. That'd be the best thing ever. <laughs> Wear a wee pair of glasses. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be amazing. I'm going to eat your arm. Yeah, that'd be fucking hilarious. Make that movie happen, Randall. Hmm, <laughs> you look quite delicious. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm eating you, good chap, but I am an alligator after all. <laughs> if it breaks into a rendition of New York, New York, I'm out though. Uh, I can handle that. <laughs> all right, well let's let's hash this out because we're talking about very oranges and apples kinds of movies. Yes, very much so. Um, and in America, that means they're very different, Duncan. I don't know how that translates to Europe. I know that you guys don't have fruit. <laughs> it's all yeah, just least, uh, potatoes and turnips. And I was say, aren't orange and apples exactly the same thing, Bo? No, they're <laughs> not, it turns out. Um, uh, how can I put this? It's like whiskey and rye. Ah. Yeah. Uh. Uh, now you're speaking my language, Paul. It's my language. <laughs> but, yeah, so we have before us uh, a film that is an almost experimental exploration of disturbing you psychologically. Mm-hmm. And then you have Calvaire. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I will put it somewhere. And then you have a movie that is could not be more straightforward. And yet it has a, I'll, I'll say it, lovable giant alligator <laughs> just trying to make his way in this crazy world and gets killed for his troubles. Is you took that... the midnight train, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's leaving. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I, I tend to be on the side of the uh, the giant animals in these movies, and I, I feel like even though Robert Forster seems like a good guy, the alligator, alligator do what alligator do, yeah. and and gets killed for his trouble. So uh, I have a lot of sympathy for the alligator. Uh, man is the ultimate enemy in here. Man, man not only flushes him down the toilet. Man tries to keep him as a pet. Man flushes him down the toilet. Man creates a horrible growth hormone. Then man feeds it to said alligator then man gets angry because giant alligator then eats man yeah so it's all man's fault all comes back to man yeah yeah i mean if you want to look for the you know allegory of the cave-like interpretation of alligator it is really all about how humanity creates its own problems and then blames the problem yeah um so yeah on that level it's a very deep look at, at uh, Amer- the American value system. Um, so, yeah, they're very different movies. It's, it is it is tough not to just knee-jerk say Calvert is the winner of this episode because it does operate on that subconscious, kind of disturbing, the hell is going on here level. 
but I don't want to shortchange the fact that Alligator is not just competent. It is a well-done one of these movies. But it is a one of these movies. Like, you have seen a movie like Alligator before. You have not seen a movie like Calvair before. Not not exactly like Calvair. Yeah, I I mean, I'll I'll come in totally with you. But I I think the thing about it is, though, and whilst I think Calvair is the better better movie, I would say this. If you put down these two movies again and say, what movie do you want to watch tomorrow? I'm choosing Alligator. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's kind of my thinking, too, is that what movie is more just basically entertaining? Mm Mm-hmm. And it, it it is alligator because alligator is a well done nature gone amok giant animal movie. Yeah, which you don't see. And I agree. I wish I wish somebody would do a movie like this today. I mean, the last thing I can think I I know they tr- they tried to kick it back off in the late nineties with things like Lake Placid, um, and then there was a slew of movies that came out. I mean, they've never really went away. I mean, like early nineties, you have things like Arachnophobia. Um, they've never really went away. I just feel that that people keep talking about what they want the next big thing in a horror to be, and I think they're kind of moving that way now. I mean, this year alone, we've had two bear movies, yeah, kind of bear gone amok movies, and uh, with varying degrees of success uh, into the Grizzly Maze, which is I actually quite enjoyed it. It's a loose remake of Grizzly. Yeah, we um, we do need at some point to discuss that in more detail because Enter the Grizzly Maze is actually a pretty good bear run amok film. I think it's really good. And then there was other one, Backcountry, which yeah. uh, which gave me five minutes of glory, and and I was like. Fucking yes! <laughs> this is yeah. what and that is all it gave me was five minutes of that. And I was like, why is there not more bear in this movie? Why is there not a producer, a film exec on on set screaming, Where the fuck is my goddamn bear? Yeah, why yeah, yeah. You're, I don't I don't get yeah, that. Yeah. I get, so I mean there is a push for it. You know, people are trying to bring them back. And I just think that all we need is that one movie. That one movie that just not doesn't have Jaws level of success because movies seldom do that now, but to have success, I mean, really like do above and beyond what is expected in the the movie industry in terms of uh, people checking the movie, money made, DVD or Blu-ray sales, VOD sales or whatever, just to give that idea of you know we now have we now have our our benchmark. This is this we we have we have a. a a group of people out there. We have a, you know, we have an audience, a market for this, that we can now make more of them. And I would be, I would be very, very happy because it's the, it's the sort of movie that, when done right, you get movies like Alligator. And I don't understand why we're not getting more movies like that. Yeah. Um, on Calvier's point, I, I think it's on some level, I think it's very difficult. As almost unfair to put the two movies against each other because they are so different. Calvier to me is just, like I said, I think it is a phenomenal horror movie just because I can't think of many movies at all that do what it does. And I'm quite glad that there isn't. It's such an uncomfortable watch for me from start to finish. I feel unnerved. My palms get sweaty watching it that I don't know genuinely if i could take one of these movies coming out a year i'm quite glad that there aren't many um but i think it it operates on a completely different level of of horror than most of what is out just now and like i say no one's seen it that's what blows my mind is that movie went came out in 
I didn't even do like I didn't even create like a splash in Europe either. It's not a big movie by any stretch of the imagination. The fact that you had to overpay for for a copy on DVD and not even Blu-ray um, speaks wonders about how little interest there is for that movie. And it's a shame because when I hear people crying out about wanting to name a scary movie, that is a scary movie to me because it taps into a, that kind of primal kind of a primal fear that not just men but women have um as well i i don't know many women that are ever cheering when a guy gets raped in a movie either you know what i mean it's 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 a horrible horrible idea but that's that's just the, I, that's just a frosting on top of the muffin bowl um, <laughs> because yeah. the, the the unsettling thing about the movie is that idea of and they play into it quite a lot it's kind of that folk rural horror thing that they have in the uk of just being in a place that you should not be in and everything around you you can't relate to and the further you delve into it, the more horrific it gets and that movie it does it it does it immaculately there's no it's just really weird it's, it's just so, so fucking weird and yet like you say we're saying to people out there you know each time we're saying it's a strong recommend for me watch this movie i think uh, calvier may be the toughest sell from us for a movie for people to check out. We've already recommended things like Enemy. Um, this movie is weird on... A, you, there is no explanation for anything in this movie at yeah. all. Yeah, and, and that's why that's why I say it's kind of dreamlike because when you watch like a movie like I think the greatest portrayal of a dream in a movie is Inferno by Argento I think that's the one that to me feels most like a nightmare because nothing in that movie makes fucking sense at all it does kind of but not really um, and the set pieces are all bizarre this movie sits kind of behind it and that we're completely from the moment we we crack away we break down in the woods everything is out of context and there's no explanation to anything and we are just we're dragged at ground level through with this guy who's just psychologically traumatized from from that point onwards to the very end yeah yeah i mean and that's that's the big caveat of of calvair the the calvair caveat if you will um is <laughs> Is that don't don't go into this movie with the expectation of narrative logic, mm-hmm. um, because that's just not the level this movie operates on. But be- besides that, yeah, it's yeah, you're right. I mean, what movie do I want to watch more right now? It, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon. I would love to kick back and watch Alligator again, um, because it's a giant monster alligator eating folk, and that's fun. <laughs> Uh, Calvair is a movie that I will watch when I run into someone who hasn't seen it and I begrudgingly like, all right, let's buckle in Mm -hmm. and let's experience this. But yeah, but I mean, but yes, it is still in terms of a, a pure horror film. It is the better horror film, you know, to, to match the theme of the show. I, I, it is the winner, but it's not the most entertaining film that we're talking about this week. It is not the most logical in, which is a strange word to (laughs) attribute to alligator, but it does have an internal logic and an internal reality that is consistent throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. And Calvair doesn't operate that way. Like you said, that's kind of the genius of Calvair is that the weirdness gets steadily weirder so that by the time you're at just the, the bananas level of weird. Uh, 
it's like Maslow's hierarchy of weird. Um, but by the time you get to the straight nanners part of the film, you have, it has been chipping away at you so that your expectation is sort of like willing, you're willing to accept almost anything that the movie will throw at you, even if it's not necessarily what you want to see. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, much as it pains me to say, I think, uh, you have, you have recommended the better horror film in our, uh, our, our Halloween, Halloweenery episode. (laughs) The Halloweenery. Look for it on Twitter. (laughs) At Halloweenery. Oh, this, this season is, this season is proving to be quite, quite a challenge. Um, I mean, you've went in the lead twice. I'm now in the lead for the first time. And I mean, we're, we're kind of closing in on the, the halfway through the season mark and no one has taken that lead. Yeah. That by this time in the previous season, one of us had at least been two points clear. So yeah, I think you were up by two at this point. Yeah. So it's, it's proven it's just like, it's like, it's like the ending to one of these Rocky movies where you just get clips of one fighter kind of pummel another and then the other pummel and the next one and then the next clip that, that fighter's getting hit again. And yeah, I, I, where do we go from here, Bo? <laughs> I I think we, uh, in a fortnight, we return to, uh, to see if you can extend that lead to a two-film lead mm. or if once again we are tied. Um, which I feel like will be the case because <laughs> I, uh, I, I think I have a movie in mind for you Ooh. and we'll see. Um, but yeah, so, uh, Calvair and by proxy, uh, Duncan McLeish winner of, uh, the Halloweenery episode. I'm sorry, I can't keep my straight face when you say that. <laughs> at, at Halloweenery for all your Halloween hot dog needs. <laughs> It means you did not know you had until you listened to this show. We do cater. <laughs> um. Oh my god! I'm just, imagine, I'm just imagining like a blood feast scenario. <laughs> just, just a, a Halloweenery feast in the preparation for five thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh. and just like a shitty office that uh, where police. <laughs> People yell at each other for no reason. Oh, you bring your own pillow for the person you're sacrificing. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that you don't bring your own bottle. I've never heard of bring your own pillow. Um, but there we go. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that was... that was. I hope everyone out there has a fantastic Halloween. Um, it's something that both myself and Bo are very passionate about, and we hope that you uh, pick some really good... Um, scary movies to, to mark in your Halloween and it might be cool uh, if you guys let us know what you check out actually on Halloween what movie did you pick to watch on Halloween night and let us know um, because I, I, I am fascinated by people's like you would imagine that most people would go down the road of picking stuff like well I have to watch Halloween um, you know it's my Halloween movie and things like that but I have interviewed podcasters in the past and the majority of them come back with different answers. When you take Halloween out of the equation, you all come back with completely different answers as to what movies make your Halloween. So um, I'd be interested to hear what our listeners watch at Halloween. Yeah, so uh, drop us a line over at uh, dbcc at dbccpodcast.com 
uh, or at Legion Podcast on Twitter or LegionPodcast.com. Uh, you can also, uh, join the, uh, the group over on Facebook for Legion Podcast. Just, uh, there's a link on the front page of LegionPodcast.com for that. Uh, in the meantime, Duncan, what are you looking forward to watching? And, uh, and further, uh, where can people find more OU? Um, I think the next big one for me is um, moving completely away from horror. Um, is The Martian, the new Ridley Scott movie? Um, I've read the book, really enjoy the book. I quite like Ridley Scott. I don't think he always lands um, a home run with me, but he's batting average using the, some American vernacular for you. It's quite high. I think he, he has a tendency to, to score quite a lot of points for me. Um, and it looks like it's getting good reviews and it looks like a film which is designed for me to enjoy. So looking forward to that. Believe it or not, I'm actually looking forward to taking in the last paranormal activity movie about Halloween time. I'm I'm kinda I'm kinda looking forward to checking out Ghost Dimension, even though the name is horrible. Um I, I kinda want to see it. I've I have watched them all. I've been to the cinema to see them all. Um and they've said this is the last one of this story anyway. I still think if this one proves to be a huge success, there'll be another one or the reboot. But I'm kind of interested to see what the story is and they're going to f- apparently answer all the questions. And So I, I will check that one out as well. Um, in terms of my show, uh, I'm continuing uh, Baz v Halloween, which is our five-week annual tradition of me torturing the shit out of my my colleague and cohort over there um the movie list this year is pretty pretty horrible um and designed to upset him and i'm gonna say gonna say on this i'm gonna tease it there is a movie that he has seen for this run of shows which he has said is the scariest thing he's ever seen in his entire life so you don't want to miss those shows Uh, yeah that's that's quite tantalizing is to hear to hear him talk about it um, gave me goosebumps hearing how freaked out he was by the scenes in the movie. Um, kind of gave me chills because I just don't get that way with movies anymore. So, um, so yes, and you can check out that show podcast under the stairs wordpress.com, but it's on Legion Legion Podcast Network. So if you're checking out this show on Legion, then check out some podcast under the stairs. Uh, Bo, what about yourself? I am looking forward to seeing Goodnight Mummy, um, mm. which I will be seeing sometime this week. And, uh, and I, I am curious about the new Paranormal Activity movie as well and Crimson Peak. I'm oh, very Crimson Peak. To see. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I, that is a horrible omission by me. That movie is, yeah, it's Del Toro and it's got Mia Wasikowska and Tom Hiddleston in it. That's sold for me. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see that. And I think I'm, I might end up watching the, uh, the Hive. Oh, let me know how that is. And yeah, I, I just there's enough uh, enough buzz about that movie that I, I kind of want to see it for myself. Excuse the pun. Uh, I will not. Um, <laughs> you, you can't tell me what to excuse. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm an American. I excuse what I want. Uh, but uh, and then yeah, you can you can find me over on LegionPodcasts.com as well, where uh, you can find this show as well as uh, the Shotcast, which is the video game-related show that I do, um, which in uh, of late has featured me talking about the game Soma, which is a really interesting horror-related game. So um, if you if you are of a mind, uh, stop by the Shotcast and, and listen to us uh, 
God, and listen to everybody talk about Metal Gear Solid Five way too much. <laughs> I just, I never wanted it. Never wanted it to happen, but there we are. Um, but yeah, so uh, LegionPodcast.com, at LegionPodcast uh, on Twitter. And uh, we will be back in a fortnight to discuss two more movies that the other has not seen. And uh, with a, a new theme, uh, yet to be determined, but I, I have one in mind. Um, so anything else uh, out of you, McLeish? Uh, no, just thanks to everyone for their continued support of these shows. Um, it means a lot, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you all in a couple of weeks, uh, bringing you more of this uh, this tremendous battle of the, this battle of wills um, and of uh, nationalities and of movies. Uh, this is the battle for the universe, really. <laughs> it really is. All right. Well, we will see you in a fortnight to settle who will be the ruler of all things. <laughs> Bye, everyone. I can make you scared if you want me to. I'm not prepared, but if I have to, I said I can make you scared. It's kind of what I do. If you're prepared, here's what I prepare. You're in Russia And more a million works of art We're whisked out to the world